You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, Episode 9. My name is Jennifer, and I am joined by Jen. And Hello, guys. And Michelle. Hi. Michelle is a special guest today, um, and she will be talking to us about composting. Um, we normally have a couple others on the show. Chris uh, couldn't be with us tonight, and Stefan has actually stepped down from the show, so he won't be on any longer. Um, but Chris should be joining us again next time, so be looking out for that. Um, so yeah, like I said, we're going to talk about composting today. And last episode, we talked about food. Um, specifically, we delved into food production and the consequences of our production system. Um, we briefly touched on composting, but we wanted to save the bulk of that conversation for this show because we knew we had an expert in the subject. So um, we will really be delving more into that. But before we do, um, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And um, you own the green plant. So tell us about that company and why you got into that and kind of you know, what inspired you to take that concept and run with it? Sure. So I own a company called The Green Plant. Uh, it's been open just a little over a year. Um, I yay. started Yay! Um, I started it because I just saw the need in this area for us to reduce the amount of waste that we're sending to the landfill. I'm a gardener. That's something I'm really passionate about. And so to me, it just makes sense to you know, use these food scraps to create compost, which is a really valuable resource in the garden. Um, so I wanted to create something that was good for the environment, but also um, had like a social component too. So uh, I partner with, so my business is curbside composting. And what I do is I pick up, I, I pick up compost from compost scraps from people's houses and then I take it to a local farm and I compost it at the farm and so uh, people can have the choice to have finished compost back you know my customers can but if they don't need have the need for finished compost then at least the compost gets put to a good use at the farm yeah that's awesome what what made you you know think of this um what inspired you to kind of do the, the curbside pickup because prior to this, I had never heard of the, that concept. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah. There's actually a couple, um, a couple other, actually more than a couple, there's other cities that have programs like this. And I had heard about one in Austin and one in Boston. Um, and I, I was, you know, out for a walk one day, taking my dog for a walk. And I was thinking like, somebody needs to do that here. And I thought, my, I'm like, why not me? So I've given like it yeah. I'm the one that thought of it. <laughs> Dang. Now I got to do it. Yeah. So, well, yeah. that's awesome. A lot of people have great ideas and say exactly what you said. Someone should do that and they don't go through with it and do it themselves. So that's really admirable that you actually, you know, said, hey, I could do that. Um, and it is providing a great service to the area. We live in the Colleen, Texas area for those that aren't local. And, um, it's the only one that I know of, and it's it's start, it's been growing little by little. I think more people are learning about it and excited because not everyone has the ability or patience to compost. So mm -hmm. it's a good way to give back. So I went you. to the uh, farmer's market at the Pearl District here in San Antonio, and I saw the exact same setup that you have, Michelle. Really? <laughs> it's called something different, but it's the same, you know, five-gallon bucket, and they had a bunch of them underneath their little, you know, pop-up tent, and they were, you know, just a little vendor at the, the farmer's market trying to get some more clients. So I was just like, oh, it's spreading. <laughs> That'll be me this spring doing the same thing, so. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it's a great alternative for people who, like I said, really want to compost, um, but maybe you live in an apartment, you don't have a yard or you just travel a lot or you just really don't feel like messing with it. It is kind of, it can get messy and, you know, take up some space. So if you are one of those folks who can't or don't want to um, compost, look in your area and see if you have something similar um, because it is a great resource and way to divert from the landfill. So, yeah. So I guess um, we will just kind of start by talking about what compost is um, because, you know, people may hear about it a lot, but not know exactly what that means. Um, so compost is actually a verb and a noun. <laughs> it's 
Um, the noun is decayed organic material used as plant fertilizer. And then it, if you use it as a verb, it's the act of making the compost. So turning that um, biodegradable waste into that plant fertilizer um, that you use. So um, it's interesting because a lot of people have done it for years and they don't even think of it as like a green um, thing, a green activity, right? It, to them, it's just I'm saving money because I'm not having to buy it. Um, or this is what we've always done in my family, but there's really been a resurgence in in this movement, I think, in the last few years as people become more environmentally conscious. So um, anything you guys want to add to that before we move on? Well, I was at uh, Fort Hood for 12 years, and I was in always like the pollution prevention, solid waste management field. And we did a lot of waste characterization studies, just looking at what went into our landfill. And we found out that, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40% by weight goes into the landfill's food waste or organics in general. So that could be landscape waste, you know, just leaves or grass clippings. But a lot of it was food as well, um, especially because it's so heavy and water dense compared to dead tree limbs. So uh, we actually started up a food waste composting program the past couple of years at Fort Hood. And um, I just love that there's also, you know, residential availability in a lot of the cities, especially in Texas, that used to not be a thing. <laughs> and we kind of got the idea of just from Austin, they, they kind of kind of were our closest neighbor that took that challenge on. And so we adopted it as well. But um, what Michelle is doing is way more environmentally friendly, probably, um, you know, driving to the people's houses that actually want to do it versus having a collection truck that uses a lot of fuel and all that stuff. So anyways, but yeah, I just wanted Some to throw that out there. Some of the programs, uh, they even use bicycles, you know, in bigger cities where, you know, you don't have to have to go that far, which is even more environmentally friendly. It's just not super possible here in Texas. From Copper's Cove to Salado, you wouldn't yeah. want to ride a bike. A little far. <laughs> not, not in the 130 or 40 miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, some cities like City of Colleen doesn't have compost pickup, but they do pick up yard scraps. So if your city doesn't offer full compost, um, they probably will pick up, you know, brush or tree limbs, like Jen said, um, things that they actually can take to a facility that they have and, and make into compost or mulch or something. So definitely look for that as well. Um, so let's talk about the kinds of things you can compost. Uh, Jen, you mentioned a lot of different items, but even that stuff um, isn't everything. Like Michelle will take, you know, paper, cardboard, um, greasy pizza boxes, you know, pretty much anything that can break down anything but dairy and meat in her bins. Um, and is that because you're using worms? No, I'm not using worms. I use chickens. Chickens. Okay. <laughs> chickens do all the work. Yeah. So it depends on where you live and who your compost facility is and what process they're utilizing. Um, so at Fort Hood, we have static aerated piles, which means you don't have to flip and turn the windrow, which is just kind of a pile like a triangle or pile of the compost. Um, so we have these pipes that have, we have an air pump. Like basically it's just the, you know, those inflatables that your bouncy inflatables that your kids jump on and stuff. There's these air pumps that are, you can just buy and they, they blow those, um, those jumpy houses up. Anyways, we use those and we just push air through um, HDPE pipes that have, um, you know, holding them and that airflow that goes through the pile reduces the need to turn the pile. And it also accelerates the decomposition process. So when you have more oxygen available, the bacteria that are eating and decomposing the food can basically multiply more quickly and can break down the food faster than when it's in like a, I guess, like a, a different type of system that maybe like Michelle has where you have to hand turn it and it has a much slower um, decomposition. So there's a lot of different types of um, commercial composting. What's the, the length of time on that system? Like 
from the time so they start really the pile. Only, you really only technically have to leave it on the pipe for two weeks, but we sometimes wow. can do, you know, longer. And it really just depends on a lot of different variables. So like outside temperatures and rainfall. So a lot of those elements can affect the bacteria. Basically, people call composting bacteria farming. And so you're just trying to keep these bugs alive, essentially. And there's all different types. Um, I don't remember all the different names, but they all can survive in different temperature zones and different types of conditions. So um, if we get like a big rain event, then we would leave the compost on the pipes for a little bit longer. And you have to take temperatures daily to make sure and that the temperature is actually just gauging the activity level in the pile of the bugs. So if your pile gets too hot, that just means those bugs are like jumping around and they're crazy <laughs> and they're, they're doing, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but sometimes it can get too hot and that's when fires can happen. Sometimes if, if the right what? conditions, yeah, if they the just right spontaneously combust, <laughs> there's no a way. lot of commercial composters out there whose piles actually do catch fire. Um, <sighs> And a lot of them, it might just be because they're doing yard waste and they don't have the right carbon to nitrogen ratio. So that's another balancing act that you have to do with your, um, they basically just call it like the different inputs. So if you have, you know, so there's all these very technical spreadsheets out there that you can use. There's even software programs where you can dial in, you know, how much by weight you're putting in for like grass clippings versus leaves versus food waste, and if you're adding dairy or meat, those temperatures have to be at a certain level for a certain amount of days, depending on the type of composting site that you have. So for Fort Hood, we only had to have like three days in a row of a temperature above like 130, 140, but we were usually a little bit higher than that. We were usually around like the 160, 170 range. If you go higher than 180, then a lot of your bacteria actually start to die off, like the type that you want that in that pile. Um, some t some bugs can survive in the higher temperatures, but um, you're not going to get full decomposition of that food waste in the way that you want. So again, it's just kind of like for those <laughs> compost experts out mm -hmm. there, they they know what they're doing. For the general public, you know, you might not have to worry too much about that because you're just doing. Like if you're doing backyard composting and you know in your house, you probably don't need to take temperatures. <laughs> you know, you're just you're not going to want to put like dairy or meat in there. That's just the main thing. So, um, if when you start adding the dairy and the meat, that's when you really have to start um, making sure that the pathogens are getting killed off, and you're not going to be creating a problem. And that tends to also attract little critters you don't want. Yeah, <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to to repeat like what Jen is talking about is primarily for commercial composters. Um, it sounds like a lot, but don't think that's what you have to do if you want to start composting. Like um, that's, that's for big, big um, piles and, and a lot of stuff. And I don't think most of us will have that much in our backyard unless, you know, you have a really crazy backyard. Um, but if you want to compost at home, let's talk about, uh, some of the different options for that. So for instance, I have a compost pile, which is literally just a pile that I throw stuff in. <laughs> and um, I, I do flip it sometimes. I'm not the best at flipping it. So it tends to break down kind of slow. Um, but I recently actually just built with, with Michelle's help um, two separate pens so that I can actually put some in one and then as it's, you know, decomposing, I can start another one and actually be able to flip it without having to dig through what's on top to get to it. Um, so what I guess is your experience with the different types of composting, Michelle, do you want to talk a little bit about some, sure. some different types of them? Yeah. So if you're thinking about um, composting at home, there's a few different options. You can choose to do the open system, which is what you've got, you know, the piles um, that are open to the air and the elements, or you can choose to do a closed bin system, which a lot of people do, um, especially if you've got smaller space or I'm not really sure if you could do it. I'm sure people have done it like on an apartment balcony or things like that, but those are the bins that are on like the tumblers that they, they're closed off so critters and things can't get inside of them. 
And then there's also vermicomposting, which is using worms to break down your food. And you can you can make or you can buy, you know, little worm towers um, for the worms to to live in. You just throw your scraps in the in those systems and then the worms eat them up and turn it into compost. So with the closed system, it's just the stuff rots in the dark or? Yeah, yeah, you wanna add your stuff, you know, your uh, your waste in there. You still wanna make sure you've got a good balance of greens and browns, but you can turn, you know, those a lot. So it's, sometimes those break down faster because they're easier to turn than like the outdoor, the outdoor open system where you're, you know, usually have a pitchfork or something and you're turning it by hand. But I've heard that they sometimes don't, I don't have that system, that's not what I use, so I don't know as much about it. But I've heard that sometimes the moisture can't escape from those bins very well and then get really wet and stinky um, too. But I don't know, can't speak to that. I would imagine yeah. it could smell a lot better, a lot worse with those. So I know we briefly mentioned like carbon to nitrogen, browns and greens. Um, so just to clarify for everyone, your nitrogen is going to come from stuff that's still alive. So like your food waste, your green grass clippings, um, things like that. If you have, and your carbon would come from, you know, like your wood chips or your dead leaves and things like that. Right, Michelle, do you have, how do you do your carbon to nitrogen mixing? Like, how do you gauge that? So I don't gauge it because I once I pour it out there, the chickens pretty much have their way with the with the food scraps and it's going to throw everything off anyway. Um, but some of the things from your house that are considered uh, browns would be like your toilet paper rolls, you know, the, the cardboard inside of those paper towel rolls, um, you know, paper, shredded paper, junk. Newspaper is really good for compost, right? Yes. Yeah. And there are some things like that you can't. Uh, that you can't recycle like cardboard pizza boxes you mentioned you know you can't recycle those but you can compost them and also paper towels those can be composted too so those are some things from your home environment that you could put also you mentioned the leaves those are really great and in the fall here I go around asking my neighbors for their um, for their bagged leaves just for my personal compost too so I want to talk about worm composting really quick <laughs> I did an experiment in Belton when I first moved into my house. Um, so I got like one of those, you know, just like large totes at Home Depot. And we started like throwing our food scraps in there. And we would put like newspaper to kind of like keep the moisture in there and all that. It got so hot in the garage that it was like completely melted. Oh, <laughs> and no. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Where but, did you get the worms? Did you dig them up or did you buy them somewhere? You can buy them. Yeah. Um, so lesson learned, don't put them in the garage. They actually are like human beings as far as temperature is concerned. So if you can't with, you know, if you can't live in your garage 24 <laughs> seven, then your worms are not going to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people actually put it underneath their kitchen sink. They just have like a small little five gallon bucket or something. Um, but again, you have to be careful about what you put in there. You know, they are, they really only want like fruits and vegetables and nothing too acidic. Like don't put limes and lemons, you know, something that would kind of burn them up a little bit. <laughs> so, um, but one fun fact is that vermicomposting, when you buy that stuff to, you know, grow your food in it, is the most expensive thing that you could buy. Like it has the highest market value of all compost out there because you're basically, it's like worm castings. It's their poop, right? Like they eat it and they poop it out. <laughs> so it's broken down like even finer and there's even more bacteria, like healthy stuff that creates the soil that we want for our food compared to just like normal composting. So worms are a good thing. They are a good thing. I had a similar experience, similar well related. I had the, I bought the little tower. I bought the worms, and I we were producing so many food scraps that I felt like it was too many to put in at one time for the worms that I had. So I froze some of it, and then I took it out. You know, when they were starting to get low on food, and I got impatient letting it thaw out. So I just oh, no. threw it all, <laughs> all the scraps, and they're still kind of frozen. And I, um, I had the you froze your worms. 
They, I, so I had them in my laundry room. The little tower was in my laundry room. And I woke up the next morning, got out of bed and found a worm on my bedroom floor. And I was like, what happened? And I looked and they had all tried to abandon ship, you know, when I had thrown the frozen scraps and that was not fun to clean up. And I felt close for the, for the poor worms. So yeah. that was my question is, do you keep a lid on it? Do you put holes in it? I mean, they, I'm guessing they need some oxygen or, you know, access to. I have one of those stackable towers and it has the holes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just drilled holes into the lid of like one of those bins, you know, so it had oxygen, but it they didn't last long. <laughs> it was a sauna. Oh, <laughs> poor worms. So this might be a dumb question, but if you wanted to start your own, I guess you could just go find a few worms and cut them in half. And is that cruel and unusual? Cause they, they grow as a new worm, right? Like when you chop them up. I have no idea. That sounds kind of horrible. Some of them. <laughs> I feel like in school I learned that you chop one and then it's just two worms. Cause that anyways, that's be true. I think there's certain kind of worms that are better for composting. Right, Jennifer? Like yeah, I think, regular. isn't it like red worms? Mm-hmm. Red regulars, I think, are the... I don't know. I do recall learning that in school as well, but I don't know if I would want to cut up my worms because the, they, you know, they're not cheap, I guess, when you buy the red wiggler. I don't remember. How much are they? Do, you bought some, didn't you? Recently? I did. It's been a long time. They're not, they're not that bad. You get like okay. 200 for, I don't know, maybe 20 bucks or something like that. Well, if you do it outside on the ground, you know, if, if you have it in the right spot, they'll just find your compost bin. That's what happened with mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eventually, okay. hopefully they'll find you. Um, Jen, you said you had some experience with Bokashi composting as well. Yeah. So before we went like full blown commercial composting at Fort Hood, we tried a couple different just small scale things at the environmental office. And um, we did the tumbler that's fully enclosed. Um, and then we also tried Bokashi. So the difference between Bokashi is it is the one kind of small scale composting option available if you want to do meat and dairy products and there's the bokashi is just the brand name for the the system that exists where you would put they kind of like sell you this compost additive that you sprinkle over the food it kind of looks like a five gallon bucket but it has a little spigot at the bottom where you can drain off the liquid So again, food waste is mostly water. So when the food starts to decompose in that kind of closed environment, you get a lot of this water that you would drain out the bottom of the Bokashi bin. They call it compost tea. And so you can um, dilute that mixture with water to water your plants. Um, Some of the ladies in our office loved it. (laughs) So everyone was fighting over the compost tea in the office. Um, But yeah, it was just something we had in our kitchen. And uh, whenever we were done, whenever we were, you know, the bakashi was full with just, again, you know, whatever scraps were left over in the kitchen for people eating lunch or breakfast throughout the day, we had the little tumbler outside. And so that's where we would add in because that's full nitrogen um, ingredient. So we would throw it in the tumbler outside and we would add the leaves or twigs or those kinds of things that we found just around the outside of the office to to get the right carbon to nitrogen ratio. So you you would still need something outside, I guess, at a certain point. Um, but it's just an option to to have meat and dairy in your composting. So I also had one of those years and years ago, and that was the step I was missing. <laughs> so I just remember it getting so gross and nasty, and it was like this congealed mess. And I couldn't figure out like how to like, it never turned into compost, right? It just, everything just kind of rotted and I didn't put it outside and mix it with something. So that was my, my issue, I guess. And I eventually got rid of it because it was, it was bad. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you kind of have to have a champion in your office if this is kind of like where you want to have it versus your house. But um, the problem was, is our, our coworker, Marlena, who was really all about it, left. And so when she left, we kind of like abandoned ship. But yeah, you, you basically have to empty the Bokakashi and put it in outside bin and still kind of do like the composting process. Yeah. yeah. And whatever- also, 
Oh, go ahead. That additive that they give you when you buy the Bokashi, that kind of just helps break down, I guess, the meat and the dairy products a little bit better. Yeah, I was going to say also that's that stuff was a little expensive, I think. So that was another deterrent because you have to layer that every time you put fresh stuff in and then, you know, one bag of it. I don't remember how much it cost, um, but it is a good alternative if you want something in the house, you know, that you can fill up and not have to t go outside all the time. So, yeah. All right. So, um We've talked about what compost is. We've talked about a few different types of composting. Did we miss anything? Are there any other types that we didn't discuss or anything else you want to add? Well, I did want to add that um, it can be a little bit overwhelming if you think about, you know, if you've never composted before and it's something you want to do, you can get online and just get instantly overwhelmed by, you know, types of composting, static area to turning the piles, greens to browns. But the truth is that composting happens with or without us. So, um, you know, you put you throw your food out in a pile, it's going to compost itself over time. And there are things the things that we're talking about are things that you can do to speed up the process of composting um, so that you can use the finished product faster. But um, I guess I just want to encourage people not to get overwhelmed uh, with composting because it really is very simple. What are some resources, books, or websites you would suggest for people wanting to get into it? So I am a big fan of Joe Gardner, uh, his, his uh, website, joegardner.com. He does a podcast, and he has a, some really comprehensive free guides online, and he has a really great um, comprehensive guide to, to composting. It's a free download. I think it's a PDF, um, and you can it's, – it's just really good. So I recommend that one, joegardner.com. Joe, J-O-E, right? Uh -huh. okay. Yeah, I definitely got like way bogged down in the details of composting when we first started the facility at Fort Hood. It has to be perfect. We have to measure the temperature and I we got even like this probe to um, measure like CO2 and oxygen levels. We got like a moisture meter and you know, you do need those things in the beginning to kind of learn, like, what you're doing. We learned how to do bulk density, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> and so, yeah, there's all these crazy terms. And, you know, when you do commercial composting, especially with meat and dairy, it gets a little complicated. But, yeah, when you're just doing fruits and vegetables and yard trimmings, like Michelle said, whether you turn it or not or whatever you're doing, the minute you turn it, the bugs will start coming back and – doing their thing. So you don't have to worry too much. <laughs> and as far as equipment, um, I'm kind of a, a little bit of a nerd about it. And so I bought myself a compost thermometer just for my own personal pile. And, you know, if that's something that you're kind of interested in monitoring is the temperature of the pile. Um, they make compost thermometers that have a really long, you know, like a prong that fits down into the middle of the pile. Um, and so you can kind of monitor the, well, you can monitor the temperature and you want to ideally get it to uh, a minimum of 130 degrees. If you're really, you know, if you're really being, I guess, intentional about your composting, you want it to get to 130 degrees at least for uh, several days. And what that does is kill any seeds or pathogens that might be in the, in the things you put in the compost. At what point will it catch fire? What temperature do you need to be <laughs> concerned about that? <laughs> above like boiling point or <laughs> I think it's like it, it can happen anywhere between like 170 and up honestly and it just it's kind of like the per perfect storm conditions there's a lot of these facilities we toured in Texas where they just have I mean I swear their piles were like 50 feet high and it was just of like feedstocks yeah. so they chip up all this wood or they, you know, just have all these, they have, you know, all their separate feedstocks. So they'll have like their wood and their leaves and then their residential compost stuff that they pick up. And they just keep stockpiling, stockpiling, stockpiling because their site is too small. And um, yeah. How high the, can we get it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't really know. Like some of these companies, I mean, I get it. They're in it for a profit. And so they just accept whatever people are willing to give them for the price, right? So if they run out of room on their site, they just build it higher, I guess. So yeah, there was this one site we went to and they were just like, yeah, the firefighters know us and 
we already know how to like tell them how to like put it out and and honestly water really doesn't do like a good job you have to learn how to properly snuff out the oxygen that's what's heating the fire so they use equipment mulch mulch and stuff i know if it something catches fire it can actually simmer and you have to like get really far down or it'll travel so i imagine compost is kind of similar right where it'll move through the if it's long enough or something not yeah, I, I heard some we're not stories trying to scare where they were like from it. they would be on fire for a long time but again this is all large large scale <laughs> commercial stuff like it's very right. rare that it would ever happen in your backyard pile it, so we recommend you keep your pile you know shorter than like three feet or something like that so you don't have to worry about fires <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's talk about how one can actually build a bin in their yard out of just everyday items. Um, for instance, the one that we built was out of old pallets. Um, we just nailed and or affixed <laughs> these pallets together using some creative means. Some of them we had to put another board and kind of attach them together. Um, but I saw um, at a presentation last night um, someone that built them out of cinder blocks, which is really cool. Like it was just an open bin that um, you could walk up to and the cinder blocks were kind of three sides of it. Um, what other, I guess, creative ways have you seen people make some, or you know, outdoors in the open air or the, the closed concept? I've seen people get those, um, you know, those trash cans. I don't know. I don't know how many cans they are. Thirty yeah. with the lid, grenades, <clears throat> and you can drill some holes in it. And they've strapped the lids tight with you know bungee cords or something. And you just put your inputs every once in a while, and then you just roll the you know roll the trash can back and forth, and that works to agitate it and and you know introduce some more air into the pile. That's so smart. I bought like a super expensive one at like tractor supply. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've so, seen that too now that you say that and I've, I've never tried it, but yeah, it was like this basically, I mean, it was just like a, yeah, like a trash can on its side and it had a little base with wheels on it. So you could like roll it, but like roll it in place, I guess. But when that thing got like halfway or whatever full, I could barely turn it in place. So I finally just like pushed that sucker off the base and I just started rolling it along the ground. <laughs> Yeah, so again, once the worms melted, I was like, we need a tumbler in the backyard. <laughs> and actually, you know, it was a nice place to kind of like put all of your yard waste and food waste and stuff. Um, and then we eventually built a garden to grow food, which by the way, Swiss chard and basil and greens, like collard greens go crazy. They grew like year round. They didn't die at all. <laughs> so you can your put compost? this compost in your garden and grow food. That's kind of the whole point of all this, right? I kind of want to touch on that too. Can we? <laughs> yeah, go for it. So we have all this lovely food that we grow. We spend tons of money to produce it. And the government subsidizes the farmer so that they can get it to the supermarkets for us. So transportation costs, fuel, water, all those things, right? And a lot of it ends up going into the landfill. So we talked about that at the last episode, the food waste side of things. But when we capture that food waste from going into the landfill and we compost it, we can, we're basically bringing those nutrients back into the food cycle. So it's kind of like that um, closed loop system for our, our food cycle. So um, I don't know the, the statistics necessarily off the top of my head, but soil is very... Um, depleted right now of nutrients and a lot of that is just from the farming like mass farming systems that we've had for the past hundred years so it's important to know that if you can grow your own food and it's local like that's the most sustainable most environmentally friendly option that you could go with so anyways that's my little uh, <laughs> pitch for that but I know not everyone wants to grow their own food or doesn't have, you know, a backyard. Like, I don't have a backyard right now, so I can't. But um, I support the local farmer markets. And, um, yeah, if you have this composting system like Michelle does, you know, you can sell that compost to local farmers at some point. Or, you know, I don't know what your future 
business model is going to look like. But yeah, you can start selling food that you've grown from this compost. Um, and you, that helps your food have more vitamins and minerals in it, which is help, which is better for your, you know, your health and well-being. A lot of people think they're like, oh, I ate my apple today. Well, like a hundred years ago, that apple probably had 10 times more vitamins in it than it does today. And that's just because of all the pesticides and GMOs and, you know, the soil depletion issues that we have going on. And I'm sure. Go ahead. I was just going to say that the typical way that people garden, you know, traditional non-organic gardening is, you know, they're trying to deal with the plants. So they, you know, they use chemical fertilizers in the soil, they use, um, you know, chemical pesticides on the plant. But when you use compost in the garden, you're feeding the soil, which feeds the plant. And the, the benefit of using compost in gardening for the earth is that you're reducing the use of these, you know, uh, fertilizers and pesticides in the earth at all. But also, you know, the, the fertilizer is just made with 10, 10, 10, NPK, um, but the compost is more, comprehensive. It's got a lot more vitamins and micro, you know, nutrients and all that in it. And it binds to the plant better than the chemical fertilizers. So the chemical fertilizers will be washed away a lot easier, but um, compost stays with the plant better. So it's just a better choice anyway for growing, uh, for growing food. Yeah. And I also know that um, using compost retains water a lot better in the soil too. So especially in Texas, if you're having to water every single day because you feel your soil, you know, you stick your finger in it or whatever, and you can tell that the soil is just dry as a bone. Part of that is you don't have the right soil mixture going on. And so adding compost into that could help. So um, Michelle, I'm curious, what do you, what is your like mix ratio with compost to like just your regular dirt that you have in your backyard or how are you, how are you building this garden? So um, I think the scientific answer is you, you strive for 5% organic matter. I don't really know how that breaks down. It's supposed to be about a third of the soil is organic matter. And so, you know, I'm filling my bed with topsoil for now. And then at about the last third of it will be um, compost and then eventually over time, you know, each each season at the beginning and end of the growing season, you can put, you know, top dress your bed again with compost. And um, over time, it just improves the the value of the soil. So over the years, you get better and better and better gardens. So once you have uh, you start it with the topsoil and the compost, you just need to add the compost or do you need to add, you know, any anything else over the years? Like any other dirt, I mean, it just people, breaks can, down. Yeah, you can really do a lot of things. I mean, there's so much stuff you can add to soil, but really, you know, if you want to just keep it simple, compost has is pretty nutritionally complete. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to add um, to what Jen was saying. Like, you know, if even if you don't want to grow your own food, but you have the capacity and the desire to compost, I am sure there are community gardens, farmers, um, neighbors, someone who would take your compost. So definitely consider that. Don't just think, oh, I'm not going to use it myself because it, you know, it's a gold mine for the people that, that do use it and it would definitely help someone out. So, um, and we're talking a lot about vegetable gardens, but even if you don't have a vegetable or a flower garden, you can put it on your lawn. You know, it's good for, it's it's just good to improve the soil all around. Yeah, yeah so that was kind of what we were looking at at Fort Hood is to just sell it to, because everybody likes to have their green grass in Texas. Um, so there's a lot of bald spots, right? And like people will do all kinds of crazy things to their yard, especially like throwing fertilizers and Roundup and all this crazy stuff. So um, surprisingly, I did like a few little test areas with just some spots that were, you know, weren't growing well. Um, and just kind of like, because you have exposed dirt at that point. So you can just kind of till it in to the top kind of layer of soil with the compost and throw down some more seed if you need to, depending on what type of grass you have. Um, and yeah, they it did just great. <laughs> so like, yeah, um, there's a lot of cities that take um, the wastewater treatment plant sludge 
and they turn that into compost using like the cities also have their yard waste. So the city sludge, which is our poop, and the yard waste is the carbon source. So poop is nitrogen, carbon is the, the leaves and the branches and all that stuff. And so they'll mix all that together and they turn that into a compost as well. So if you don't want to, you know, like spend as much money maybe at like Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever to buy these bags of uh, compost, there's a lot of these. If you just go to the compost center in Colleen, they sell it right there. So it's like $10. And I think sometimes you can just like however much you can fit in the back of your car. <laughs> so um, that's an option for folks out there. If you know, you're not worried about growing food necessarily, you just want to try to make your grass prettier, that's like a cheap option um, compared to some of the synthetic fertilizer chemical options that you would find at the store. Awesome. Yeah, so many awesome resources out there um, for anyone interested in, in starting to use them and or making your own. So cool. Um, so let's go on, Jen. I know you said you had some uh, things you wanted to talk about um, as far as the health benefits and, and other just benefits to composting. Um, is there anything we haven't touched on already that you wanted to add in? Um, I think in general, it's it's a hard concept for some people to think about the problems going on on the planet, right? Like it's so overwhelming and it's beyond anything that one person, you know, might be able to make a difference. So it's all of us coming together, making these individual decisions and choices to do the right thing that's for your own health and well-being, but it also relates to the overall health and well-being of the planet and the environment and everyone. So again, back to kind of like that social side of things, um, you know, if you're, if you're composting, you're creating a better soil, you're creating a better vegetable or fruit, or if you have an herb garden, you know, whatever it is, and that's food that you're putting in your body, you're going to feel a lot healthier. You know, you're not going to have these pesticides and chemicals that you're going to be ingesting. Like if you choose to buy organic, for me, the extra dollar is worth it. You know, like I'm constantly like looking at the berry aisle in produce and I'm like, oh man, like regular blueberries are $3 and organic ones are $4, you know, but to know that I'm not going to be ingesting those chemicals and pesticides and everything they spray on our food and they put in the soil, I'm like, a dollar's worth it, you know? <laughs> so just think about that. Think about your own health and well-being in general. Um, food is everything. It The gut is like, like um, kind of like the source of all of your immunity and your health and your body. So everything you put in your body has an effect on you mentally, physically, emotionally, you have all sorts of domino effects that happen. So I just wanted to tie that in with the food discussion we had last week and making the right choices with composting. Um, just kind of throw that out there, food for thought. Um, uh, food <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, the health benefits are great. And you know, there's also just so many environmental benefits to composting. Um, it diverts all that waste from the landfill, right? And and a lot of the organic waste is what causes the methane buildup in landfills, which um, is a big contributor of green to you know global warming, greenhouse gases. Um, and you know, composting can actually kind of serve as a carbon sink in the dirt. Um, it, it rather than releasing. It, it holds it in and it lets us, you know, put it to good use and make more energy. And it's that circular cycle. So, um, yeah, huge environmental benefits in addition to everything you said, too, which, you know, I think kind of goes yeah. without saying. I kind of wanted to touch on the cost of things, too. Um, I know in general, you know, whether you're a city or you're you know, an individual in your home, you're kind of like, oh, man, this extra effort to separate <laughs> my food 
or as a city to fund a, an additional program, an additional route to pick up, right? Like Michelle has to go pick up these food scraps from individual houses. So that's an extra effort for everybody involved. But we just wanted to highlight the benefits of that because although, yes, you have to put it in a separate container, um, the, the savings might not always be, um, I guess, like the financial savings might not always be something that you can just see on the surface. There's a lot of like second, third, and fourth order effects that you're not necessarily like taking into consideration. So again, some people might not think about their medical bills in the future, right? Like, because they're, they're not relating the fact that if you eat organic produce that you've put in your own backyard and the savings from having to go to the grocery store to buy those things. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> like, yeah. There's there's a lot of different aspects involved with the cost of doing recycling as well. Um, you know, plastic, paper, cardboard, all those things have to get sent to other factories to get recycled and processed. But it still costs the city extra money for that extra route. And there's not always a return on that. But the environmental benefits overall are still outweighing the costs that we just see up front. Right. One well, another cost savings on a much smaller scale, but you see it a lot more immediately. Um, like in Colleen, you get to pick what size trash can you have. So I have the smallest trash can that they offer and I maybe put it out to the road once a month because I recycle and I compost. So I might have a bag of trash a week that I put out there mostly just, so it doesn't smell in my house. But, um, you know, you save a little money here and there. I mean, if a few dollars a month adds up, if you get the smaller bin, you're saving five, ten dollars a month, whatever it is. Um, so money savings is definitely a great motivator for a lot of folks, too. So, Michelle, how much does your like business or like if I wanted to sign up, like what would it cost? So if you decided that you wanted your bucket picked up every week, it would be $5 a pickup, which comes out on average to about $20 a month. And then if you decided you only wanted it picked up every other week, then it's $8 a pickup. And that comes out to about $16 on average a month. But she doesn't go to San Antonio. Sorry. I know. I just I think I'm going to have to raise the rates for San Antonio. <laughs> you know what? The next time I go to the farmer's market, I'm going to go talk to that booth and see what they charge. Because I would imagine $5 is like a lot cheaper than probably what they charge here. Which is actually a strange now that I think about it because they do have curbside recycling for the city. So maybe they're trying to like get to the folks that don't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. San Antonio, I'm still figuring it out. But apparently if you're within you know, certain boundaries, you're allowed to get this like San Antonio curbside recycling, composting, and trash. But I think there's all these little like pockets right around outside of downtown that they have their own, maybe like their own deal going on for like waste pickup and all that. So anyways, when I talk to them, I'll find out what they charge. Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to say too, I'm not sure if, I think we've kind of touched on it, but I don't know if we've said outright that uh, landfills are the largest man-made source of, of greenhouse gases. And what I read is that up to 40% of what we throw away can be composted. And that's just composting. That's not even including the things that you could recycle. So, you know, there's so much that we could take out of our waste stream. Could you imagine if we even cut just the 40% that, you know, everybody throws away and did something more sustainable with that? With that waste what a big difference that would make yes definitely and um i guess if someone is trying to decide you know do i want to invest in a program similar to michelle you know or take on the effort themselves in their own backyard I would kind of challenge you to do the research and really look into the overall benefits of doing it so social, environmental, and financial. Um, the triple bottom line is kind of what you would would consider. So there's a lot of different decision-making metrics out there for environmental concepts. And so if you're trying to justify like cost-benefit ratio for things, it's not just dollars and cents. Like there's 
other aspects that don't necessarily have like a financial attachment to it. So again, like health and well-being and having energy. There's a lot of people have that have Synthroid or as like a prescription from their doctor because they have thyroid issues going on. They didn't even, and there's like 60% of people out there that don't even know that they have a thyroid issue. They just feel tired all the time and they can't lose weight and they don't understand what's going on in their health and their body. And again, that all goes back to the food that we're putting into our bodies. So if you can make compost or create compost or contribute to this compost, it will make everyone's soils a lot healthier and our food a lot healthier and the environment a lot healthier. Absolutely. Anything else you guys want to touch on before we move on to our green life hacks? Thing we did not cover. I think we covered quite a bit. Um, we gave folks a lot of op options, ideas, um, resources. And of course, if you have any other questions, you can always um, reach out to us on Facebook um, and we will answer your question or ask Michelle if she if she has an answer for you, if we don't know. Um, but yeah, if there's nothing else. I have one more thing. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe a lot of people aren't plugged into like their city or their county where they live, but there are a ton of resources available on their website. So depending on where you live, just do a quick search and find out what your composting options are. So, because they're all very regional, depending on where you're at and what the city offers. So, there might just be drop-off locations for compostables. There might be these companies like Michelle. If you're in the Colleen to Temple, Salado area, she can service you. But there's a lot of different um, opportunities out there to compost if you don't want to do it yourself. And so... Just do a quick search. Like I didn't know where the drop-off zones were in San Antonio for recycling when I didn't have my bins yet when I first moved here. Like so, there's just those types of things that you have to kind of take some of this stuff on yourself and do a quick search to find out what's available out there for you to 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 um, compost. Absolutely, there's so much information. So yeah doing a Google search, talking to people. Great way to stay informed. Alrighty, Michelle, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we? I don't think so. I think you got covered it all. Okay. Well, thank you for being on. Um, before we go, we're gonna talk or do our green life hacks. So um, every show we talk about something, either a product or a practice that we've adopted that we really feel has made us um, you know, live a greener life, helped us live more sustainably. Um, so I've kind of talked about mine already on the show, but um, I'm going to make my life hack the awesome compost bins that we built. I don't know if you guys can see it's on my phone, but um, we built them out of the pallets, um, like I said, and there's three standing up with two in the back. Um, and so right now I only have stuff on one side. Um, but the plan is, is that gets built up, let that kind of brew and cook. And then, you know, as I flip it, um, eventually I'll start filling the other side up while that becomes actual dirt. So my old compost bin still has all the old dirt in it that isn't quite broken down. But um, I have some like volunteer potatoes growing in it right now. <laughs> so I don't want to disturb them because it's kind of cool that they just started growing out of old potatoes. And... I hope I didn't lose them in the freeze we had last night because the leaves are completely brown now after the cold snap, even though I covered them. So anyways, yeah, you get cool surprises sometimes when you have food waste like onions, potatoes, you know, things that do good and being buried and just re-sprout. So. Yeah, we got some beautiful volunteer tomatoes and sunflowers last year. What? I never get tomatoes. <laughs> We had our very first thing at the Fort Hood compost site by accident growth <laughs> was the uh, cantaloupe. <laughs> like there was a bunch of cantaloupe seeds that I guess what? kind of dropped off the edges. Like the corners and the edges of your pile don't get as hot. And so they're not going to get to the temperature they need to get to to kill off those seeds. And so, yeah, we just had this like random vine of like cantaloupe growing. Did you keep it? 
<laughs> yeah, they ate some of it. I was too afraid. I freaked out a little bit. <laughs> like, what was in that dirt? That's awesome. I love stuff like that when things just pop up unexpectedly and survive. That shows, like, you know, like Darwin at work, you know, they were like really wanting to live. <laughs> um, Jen, what is your green life hack? So I already showed you guys all my cool compost stuff on previous podcasts. I think I should start like planning this a little bit better to match the theme of our conversation. But anyways, this is definitely off topic. But this is my crystal deodorant that I use instead of all that crap that you can buy at the store. It's literally like salt uh, crystal. So you just, uh, let me take this lid off. And it actually works because every natural deodorant I've tried does not work. <laughs> I was gonna I just do you not myself. read this? It says 24-hour protection. Okay? <laughs> would, your, would your husband agree that that, that deodorant works? <laughs> yeah. So just so you know, the smell of sweat, like in your armpit, is actually bacteria. So it's not that you have like some weird thing like coming out of your armpit that's just like smelly. It's just bacteria on your skin and in your body that's kind of like creating this smell. So basically you create, so you take this and you put, you like, I run it under the sink to get it like a little bit wet and you just like put it under your armpit like this and it's basically like salt water. So you're just putting like salt water on your skin. And as you know, salt kills bacteria. So over time, as you clean up your diet and you're not eating foods that, you know, are going to create like weird environments for bacteria and things to be like going on in your system, you're really like your sweat really shouldn't be stinky. <laughs> So a lot of people, so like I know guys especially, like they'll buy deodorant because they don't want to sweat. Like they want something that's going to like prevent the pores from having. Right, yeah. Right. So that is actually not healthy for you. Like your body is meant to sweat for a reason. Like it's getting toxins out of your body. And so when you put antiperspirant on, it's full of all kinds of like aluminum and parabens and all these things that can cause problems in your system and that we can have a whole separate like health podcast on all this stuff um so anyways this is another brand that i use is smaller this is my travel size one <laughs> so all the traveling i do it's a lot smaller just as, um and it says no aluminum chlorohydrate uh fragrance and paraben free so just take a look at your deodorant situation, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> there's some stuff in those those brands at the grocery store that you buy that are like, no bueno. Yeah, I have a friend who actually said she, um, she like, you know, used alcohol to like, I don't know, reset and kill whatever. And then she didn't have to use deodorant at all because it got rid of all the bacteria and she never smells or, you know, and if she sweats, it doesn't smell. And I was just like, um, I tried that and it didn't work. Like I tried it after she said it and it didn't work for me, but <laughs> I only did it once. And then I was like, I have to go to work and be around people. I can't afford to be like, you know, experiment with this when I'm out in the public. So, well, I've been using yeah. it for about two or three years and yeah, I, like I don't, there's no smell. Like I sweat, like a normal human being is supposed to sweat. But yeah, if you think about like how, how long do you think you've been wearing deodorant? Like 20, 30, I don't know, however old we are, right? 20 so years, yeah. every day for 20, 30 years, like you have this buildup residue of this product, this one product. We're not even talking about all the other people on our body or in our body day after day. This is just one thing. And so, yeah, you can do like armpit detox, basically, which is probably what you were mentioning. Um, so, yeah, I would just look into it. It's one one small step. You can start <laughs> like getting 
getting your regimen a little bit more clean for your body and for the environment. Because the way that they make these things and the ingredients that go in it and the waste that's involved and all that stuff. So anyways, that's mine. That's awesome. I'm all about it. I've been looking for one that works. But like I said, every one I try, I still. (laughs) I think you need to have a podcast about like, like beauty products and cleaning products and like how to get, I don't know, maybe there's brand, brand names out there that people have tried and they like, but there's also stuff you can make yourself, you know? So yeah, next topic. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right, Michelle, what's your green life hack? So I brought my, um, my bamboo toothbrush. And so these are really cool because, uh, you know, once, once you use it up, you just uh, cut or remove the bristles and then you can throw the whole bamboo the handle into the, the compost pile. And, you know, bamboo is a, a more sustainable resource and it's just, it's good. And so the, you know, the plastic, typically plastic toothbrushes that end up in the landfill. What brand so, is that? This one is, I'm going to hold the box. It's wow, but with an E at the end. Wowie. Wowie. <laughs> <laughs> so I have heard that they make some that uh, even the bristles are compostable, but if that's the case, then it's like, how does it hold up and actually brush your teeth? Cause they're made out of like bean, some bean composite thing. I don't know. Um, but okay. So I've had a compostable or a, a bamboo toothbrush for a while now. And I finally, you know, switched to a new one two days ago and I start brushing with it. And this one has black bristles and the other one had white bristles. Um, so as I'm brushing, I'm feeling th- the bristles like fall out in my mouth. <laughs> so it was like hairs. <laughs> it felt like there were hairs in my mouth as I'm brushing. Hasn't done it since that first time, I think just cause it was getting the loose ones out, but yeah, it's pretty gross. And then when I spit, my toothpaste was a little like dark because I guess the color <laughs> rubbed off. What is so it made out of? Brand I I don't know. I think maybe that brand is one of the ones I was talking about. But I got it in this box, the subscription box I used to subscribe to with, you know, Earth Friendly products. Um, they send you every month, and that was one of them. And I don't even know it, they went out of business. But anyways, it was pretty gross. It was like spitting out hairballs that's <laughs> so brushing my teeth but i do love bamboo i think this brushes. is gonna be good i like this idea of like finding tried and true brands of these like environmentally and more healthy alternatives so like that way i don't have to waste the money on buying this toothbrush right. <laughs> you know that you've already tried and like you don't like so yeah we need to get like our next next speaker needs to be like some guru on all these i bet chris has some good ideas too because she's been doing this for a long time i'm gonna do some research on like somebody that has just like a list like i just want a list of what i should buy and be done like right because there's so much money we waste on all kinds of stuff that we're like oh this is gonna be the best shampoo ever and then it's terrible and use it one time or you know one week (laughs) and it doesn't work and then you're stuck with a giant bottle of it yep I think there's a push too for people to start making their own products. Yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit, like using coconut oil and their own jars. And so it's not only natural ingredients, but it's also zero waste. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we talked about it in a couple of podcasts, like making your own stuff, using essential oils, baking soda vinegar to clean stuff. Um, So yeah, I think we should definitely go in deeper Mm -hmm. on that topic at some point. Yeah. I've started getting the ingredients for washing detergent to make my own once I finally use up the giant bottle I had. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Um, All right. So I think uh, that's everything we had for this show. Um, Jen, where can we find you online? On Sustainably Geeky. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Michelle, where can we find you online? So I am on Facebook and Instagram at the Green Plant Biz, B-I-Z. Okay, awesome. 
And you can find me here on Sustainably Geeky, um, Epically Geeky once in a while. I haven't been on that in a while. Um, Marginally Geeky, which is our book club podcast. And um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. Um, that's my personal handle. And then, of course, the show is available um, on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. And then we're also on Facebook um, at Sustainably Geeky. So you can message us on Facebook or YouTube, comment, um, share your thoughts, uh, send us show ideas. We love hearing from you guys and interacting. Um, and real quick, I had a thought as we were doing that. Um, you were talking about we should do reviews of products, Jen. Um, if there are any products out there that would like <laughs> to get with us um, and help, you know, sponsor that kind of thing, we would love to talk to you. So <laughs> definitely reach out to us. Um, with that, uh, we record usually the second Tuesday of the month, and then we get the show up within the next week or so. So be looking for us um, around the middle of the month. And um, Again, if you have any ideas, let us know. Uh, we are not sure what our next topic is going to be, but it sounds like it might be something about reviewing hygiene and household products. So stay tuned. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a good night. has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network.